factors for success in the changing vendor partner landscape? And how do you strengthen and mature your relationships and services, whether you're vendor or partner? I'm very lucky to have two stalwarts of the channel world join me for this episode. Steve Warburton is MD of Zen Internet's partner business, and I've known Steve now as a client for a number of years. He has a thoughtful, calm approach to things, a clear and deep passion for both Zen, its channel and its people, and years of experience. Matt Hatshorn is director and founder of Recur Global, a long-standing and forward-thinking partner profitability specialist. I first met Matt many years ago when we were both separately supporting Cisco to develop their partner sales capabilities. And I'm delighted that we've recently been able to partner up on some similar projects. So join me to hear their views on how the channel is evolving and their tips for revenue leaders like you who are trying to optimize their channel growth. So Matt, let me start with a topic that I know you're really interested in and have been thinking a lot about. So for many vendors and partners thinking about their evolution and their growth, they're trying to consider what does our next generation of partner look like? Every vendor I talk to is looking for the next gen partner. They're trying to identify who in their partner channel are going to take them to the next 18 months, three years. And I think the secret in identifying the best next-gen partners from a vendor perspective, look at where you want to be in 18 months to three years, set some criteria and try and profile your ideal blueprint partner based around where you're going rather than where you are now. Because I think it's easy to, to refer to type and continue doing what you do rather than thinking forward in terms of where is your technology going to be in 18 months and three years? And what's the profile of the ideal partner that can help take you forward? And then the debate comes into, well, uh, do we just recruit loads of partners? Do we look at our existing partners? A lot of the vendors I talk to say, I don't know what my next gen partner looks like. Where am I going to find them? And that's where the conversation starts. Steve, really good point to bring you in as somebody who's got many years of building a channel business and probably seen quite a number of evolutions in your channel at Zen. What's top of your mind around this now? Like many other service providers, we probably made that mistake early on in our evolution where we were probably a bit guilty just recruiting lots of partners. You know, let's sign lots of partners in make sure you know, it feels good. And let's go on the KPIs. I think internally people are happy when they see lots of new partners being signed. But I think you know, you've got to ask yourself, can you service those partners properly? Um, can you really support them with the enablement that's that's needed? You know, are they really bought into where you're going? Can they really help you deliver against your own your own plans? So I think, you know, to Matt's point, it's really important to be very clear about what does a good partner look like. You know, what's their size? What's their makeup? What kind of capability they got? What markets are they in? Is it a particular geography that you need? What proposition have they got? And I think you know, recognise that you need to find partners who you both got a, an aligned view in terms of where you're going, what success looks like, what good looks like. So, um, you know, really important. So yeah, there's some of the some of the lessons I've learned over the over the years. How important has cultural fit been for you as well? There, besides some of the, the demographics and, and technical and business capabilities. Yeah, I think I think really important. Anna. I think you know, there's, there's some partners in the sector that we operate in where for them it's about 
having the best commercial terms and that, that's the imperative. Whereas um, we've got other partners who, for them, it's about offering a great service to their customer. And in our case, that's where there's really good alignment of, of fit in terms of where we're looking to go. Um, also, I think it's interesting this. I think sometimes, you know, you'll have a partner that's got a particular view about the market and where the opportunity is, and that might be different to ours. And I think there's nothing wrong with that. I'm not, not saying who's right, but I think it's just important to recognize that difference. That's a good point, getting that that right alignment and then having got that right alignment perhaps we'll come back to how do you find the right partners but Matt do you want to talk a bit about you know you find the right partners but how do you get them to where you need them to be? Well we've created a framework around identifying the correct partners for vendors and and channels and alignment scores very highly right in the middle of that process and that leads to commitment enablement and what we call activation but before that is the whole profiling assessing and nominating those accounts so having an understanding of where the next gen blueprint partner is going to be and what they look like understanding the capabilities to the point made earlier by steve in terms of sales marketing technical leadership operations, customer service, or whether it's customer experience or or whether it's life cycle, where their capabilities are, what gaps there are, and based upon the alignment, based upon a lot of the culture between the channel partner and the channel vendor, what is the leadership going to commit to? So once you've got that alignment, you move into the commit phase. And then once the leader, the leadership team is committed in the partner, then they can drive behavior through all those different operation operational departments that I just described to really, really deliver full true enablement on the back of what the vendors are offering, but also activation. And what I mean by activation is lots of vendors do enablement, but activation is actually what drives behavior in a partner. I think it's interesting, Adam. I think you know Matt referred to um, activation there, and I think we've been guilty in the past, as any for a lot back, of enablement. So you know, here's the tools, um, off you go. And it's kind of like, okay, why why isn't the partner using all these tools we've created? You know, why aren't we seeing the why aren't we seeing the sales that we were expecting? And I think what we realised as, as we matured our channel is that actually, you know, we need to be a lot more hands on. You know, we need our salespeople sat alongside the account managers in our partner business, working with them to try and um, convert opportunities. We need our marketing team working with the equivalents in their business on joint campaigns. You know, we need to be a lot more involved in their business day-to-day. And I think that was a really good lesson for us is our initial approach was, here's the tools, see you later. And we've since realised that we need to be a lot more, much more joined up. You know, we're doing it together. It's a, it's a partnership. I guess a clue's in the title, you know, joint activity rather than just... Uh, um, providing tools and leading to it. And how does that change the relationship and, and the, the impact or, or the outcomes that you see on the back of that? I think, yeah, significantly, Anna. I think um, in the past, I guess, if I, if I can wind the clock back, we were seen as a, a perhaps more of a transactional supplier to the partner, um, you know, one of a number, maybe a dozen different suppliers that they're, they're using for different services. Whereas as we've become much more engaged, I think to Matt's point from the top down, at a kind of senior level, we're having conversations maybe on a quarterly basis. Every day, you know, we're engaged in sales, marketing, operational activities with the partner. You know, we're seen as a as a true strategic partner for that organisation. And there's a proper partnership rather than a supplier relationship, as you might describe. And I think on Steve's point, we've just done a survey for a very large IT vendor out of the US. And we think that their PAMs or their CAMs, their channel account managers are spending 
50 to 70% of their time actually with the partners doing exactly the type of activity that Steve just described. And that's the activation activity. Because if you think about enablement, enablement is primarily learning-led. Do this activity, it's not very measured. Whereas activation is all about the execution of the enablement that you've learned and the new skills that you've learned or the new knowledge. And that execution leads to better quality pipeline, um, higher conversion rates, and more business for the channel. And that activation piece also is, is so valuable that the CAMs and the PAMs do, and that's why it takes up 50 to 70% of their time. So it's an absolutely vital part of the next phase after enablement in the channel. And I bring an analogy to the discussion. Enablement is a bit like pure maths. It's quite theoretical, whereas activation is more like applied maths. And it's applied maths that drives the engineering and the technology outcomes. Theoretical maths is great, but it's the application of that that actually drives the outcomes in industry. Good analogy. And I think one of the things that I see very much is that coming back to culture and alignment that those partnerships where both parties have some common goals, they have similar levels of commitment, similar perceptions of risk and potential similar risk and reward, um, or at least equivalent, that means that they're both committed and and they can see where they're trying to, to get to. Because what you're talking about, Matt, in terms of that activation is actually quite a big commitment on both sides, isn't it? So it's the enablement part is quite easy. You can automate quite a lot. And you have some nice, neat boxes that you could tick off to say that you've done them. But that activation piece of being side by side on the journey together, investing that time working together is is both a time commitment and it's an ongoing thing. It's difficult to really tick the box and say, well, we've done that. We can move on to the next thing, isn't it? What would you suggest for companies that are thinking about this and perhaps not really on that journey yet? How, How would you take those steps in maybe a crawl, walk, run approach to get there? Well, I think enablement is very wide and very deep, whereas activation can be very, very focused. And I think it needs to be. It's a bit like when you're sending an email or giving a presentation to salespeople is don't ask them to do more than one thing, right? Just get them to focus on the single takeaway you want from that engagement with them. And partner salespeople are absolutely time poor. They've got so much being thrown at them from so many different directions, so many different vendors, so many different technologies. It's hard, I think. It's quite a challenge in today's time poor environment. And obviously, the workplace has changed in the last 18 months as well, is to focus on doing the important rather than what might be perceived as the urgent. So the activation piece, although it does take up quite a lot of time, the actual tasks involved can be quite simple and should be very narrow. And when the vendor account manager engages with the partner, it needs to be on a very, very simple and narrow set of tasks on a per month or per quarterly basis, which means that it's manageable. The time poor one's really, really fascinating. You know, what we see is, you know, partners who have been, you know, in some cases just bombarded by messaging from the market. Um, by lots and lots of different suppliers. And so, you know, the account manager or, the, or our marketing teams, the message goes out and you expect that the message lands. And I think what we've realized and learned is that that message needs to be reinforced multiple times because it can just get drowned out in the noise of so many different messages. And I think 
in, in an ironic way, COVID just made this problem even even worse because then we're not being able to engage face to face so easily. So therefore, we've all been using various different other electronic means to get these messages across, which just compounds the problem. It just adds to the to the pile. So I think um, you're quite right, Matt. I think you know that, that those account managers and, and marketing teams need to be reinforcing those messages and um, and also not trying to land too many either. I think sometimes I've seen us try and land four messages at once and non-sticks surprise surprise so you need to be picking one or two key messages matt you're talking about partner account managers being time poor and i think there's also a, a maturity journey that companies go on as they build their channels and steve i know you've got some experience and some views on this but what i see very often is as companies move into from startup to scale up the idea is right the way we're going to scale up is through partners we need a channel and the whole focus ends up being let's sign up anybody that wants to work with us we'll sign them up as partners and fantastic you know we can tick the box and our job's done and some of those partners will perform great some of them won't do a thing and over time as a vendor you start to figure out which are our good partners but but there comes a point where actually what you have and from a maturity perspective is a small number of partners that are doing well for you a bunch of partners that are doing nothing and then add to that the potential complexity or thought process that Matt's talking about that the the ones that are doing really well for you today are not necessarily the profile of the ones that are going to do great for you in the future. There has to be a a process or a way of thinking about that, I think, for companies to mature their channels and to be more focused and specific around the value that that as a vendor you bring to the partner and as a partner you bring to the vendor. So Steve, I know you've had some of that journey and, uh, and have some approaches within Zen. Do you want to just pick up a little bit on what you've been doing? Yeah, sure. Yeah. And I think, firstly, I think we've definitely seen that challenge that you've referenced there. I mean, I can think of partners that um, in the earlier days of Zen you know, were great partners for us, delivered a lot of business for us, but but they changed as the market changed and actually aren't necessarily the ones that are going to deliver the success in the future for us. Whereas alternatively, we've had other partners who um, maybe a few years ago did very little with us, um, but they've been very agile and, and, and quick to capitalize on changes in technology. And actually, suddenly, they become the partners of the future and the ones that we look at now and go, who would have believed it three years ago that this partner would be actually one of our best performing accounts? The other thing I think I've seen that's interesting is the role of the account manager. So sometimes by simply changing the account manager, bringing in a fresh face with a different approach and a different idea and a slightly different outlook, you can suddenly get an account that's um, you know doing very little to um, performing extremely well. So you know don't be afraid to, to just change out that that key contact in a way just to create a bit of change and disruption in the account because that might help uncover some some hidden gems in the in the base and i guess my final thought is just insight is i think you know if i look back there's been times where we've really struggled to get the kind of level of insight that you need you know you really need good mi and data that tells you how your business is performing by product line by region by account i think in the early days of zen we didn't have that so we were blind to the performance so um you know make sure you get the, the insight and data right i think that's quite an interesting point there steve because i've talked to lots of vendors about who's doing your number now and why are they doing the number and to your point that's not necessarily going to be the same profile of partners in two years time the next gen partners and understanding that a lot of vendors look at historical data rather than forward capability and a lot of dashboards will tell you where you've been driving, not necessarily where you could drive to. And I think 
once you profile that next-gen partner and you understand the capability of what you think, if you can arrive at that, what the next-gen partner is, then compare it to the successful partners that are doing your number today. And by overlaying, I guess, those heat maps, you get an interesting contrast of how your channel needs to morph over the next couple of years. Because there might be some partners already transacting through you that have the future capability but aren't really doing the number. And so there's maybe a wealth of partners that are registered to a vendor, but they don't actually have any salespeople attached to them because their historical number has been low. I think understanding where you're going as a vendor, where the channel's going with new disruptive technologies and new buying models and, and recurring services, recurring offers and understanding what the capability of those future partner is so that when you're looking at a next-gen partner, you can actually rate them using that next-gen heat map based on where you're going rather than where you are at the moment. Yeah, I totally agree, man. I think I think the other thing that I've seen that's um, interesting is, uh, and we've done this in the past ourselves, is you, you chase the golden egg, you chase the, the dream partner that's uh, on paper. And we've all done this. Um, you know, there's this great partner, it's a fantastic opportunity, they've got a big base, and you think, right, this is it. This is the one that's going to take my partner revenues from you know where they are today to maybe double, triple what, what they are. And uh, I can think of a particular example, maybe three or four years ago now, where we did just that, uh, our business, along with pretty much every one of our competitors, all chased the golden egg. Classic uh, tender process, loads and loads of requirements, very thorough process, lots of presenting, lots of stages. We need to just drop everything we're doing and put all of our resources onto this particular opportunity. As ever, sometimes in these situations, you know, you start out with a, it's all about service. It's all about improving the service we've got today. It's all about giving us the capability to take advantage of where the technology is going. Unfortunately, as, as the process moves on, in this particular example, we ended up in a, in a kind of more of a price commercially focused debate. And we we took the decision to kind of gracefully exit that process um, partway along. And I think if I look back, that was one of the best decisions we ever made. Because whilst everyone else scrapped for this big opportunity that ended up in a very low margin, probably break-even scenario, we were left to concentrate on winning some some new partners and, and serving our existing partners and, and continue to grow our business. So the distraction was was removed. It was quite an interesting lesson, I think, in not just going after the, the big brands, the big names that are going to deliver some miraculous growth. I think we described that in sales training as the no bid is as valuable as the bid decision. Yeah, I totally agree, Matt. Totally agree. I think it's um, it's so easy to just continue along. And uh, I think the ability to say no is a is a skill that's um, often overlooked. It's a crucial skill in the uh, in any business it's a it's a recurring theme in the work that i do with sales teams whether they're channel or direct sales teams around focusing your activity and your time and your resources which are always finite on you know the right partners the right customers the right opportunities because exactly to your point steve you can wrap up an awful lot of time and energy in things that are not going to take you anywhere and being discerning about that i think is really really important and it comes back to in part, what you were talking about, Matt, around having some some clear criteria, because it's very hard for any salesperson or indeed sales leader to say to the hierarchy, I don't think we should be going after this golden egg because the prize looks so great. And, and actually, you know, if you're just doing it on gut feel, however much that gut feel is based on many years of experience and, and might be the right thing to do, it's very hard to persuade others not to go after that prize, but having some criteria so that you can give some clear thought and clear explanation as to why 
it's the right choice or the right decision to no bid, I think is really important. And, and then that builds the capability and it builds the confidence in the business that you're making the right decisions. And it becomes a lot easier, I think, for the individual account managers to start making those decisions for themselves or at least recommending those decisions for themselves. Every vendor I talk to, I know it's an overused cliche, but they want to do more from less. And I'm constantly having conversations with people that own budgets about how do we get get it to stretch further? How do we increase the ROI multiple? And a lot of the, I guess, the secret sauce in making that happen is when you're looking at channel enablement is identifying the partners that are ready, willing, and able to be enabled. And if that's taking what was 100% of your dollar spend on the channel last year and spending the same amount of dollars on 35% of the channel, you're going to get a greater return. And that ready, willing, and able, there's some timing factor in there. There's some capability in there. There's some cultural aspects in there that we described earlier. And ultimately, a vendor, they're looking for two things in a channel, capability and capacity. And the ready, willing, and able is a great qualifier because we've spoken about profiling the partners assessing their capabilities based upon their various departments, nominating that partner to engage with, then looking at if there's alignment in terms of culture and and strategy, then can you get the leadership commitment before you look at the enablement and activation piece. To that point, Mark, you know, we've we've had this recently where we've been doing lots of activity with particular partners, sales activity, campaigns, etc. And and, it, and it's not um, it's not landed for whatever reason. You know, the customer base, the partner themselves, hasn't just hasn't had enough buy into that particular activity. So we've tried, and unfortunately, it hasn't it hasn't worked. Um, many examples where it has, but the odd example where it hasn't. And I think it's about being willing to say, you know what for that particular partner and, and our activity. Let's move on to a, to, a, to another partner where the, the opportunity is there. I think it's it's not being afraid to give it a go, but if it doesn't work, to recognise that and, and, and to move on. That comes back to alignment that we were talking about before, doesn't it? Because both parties need to have an incentive, you know, there the needs to be a good enough reward and they need to be capable of, of moving towards that together. And sometimes when these things don't land, it's because there's a kind of a misalignment somewhere between expectations, resources, perceived reward, perceived risk or effort. And sometimes those are things that those, those things are real. Sometimes they're perceived. It brings us into this conversation around value and focus. We started off this conversation thinking about what does the next gen partner look like? perception of value in both directions from from vendor to partner and partner to vendor are changing as technologies change and as what customers need from their partners and vendors changes. How are you seeing that playing out and how it's helping to to focus in on which are the partners that are are ready, willing and able and that can activate around this and and bring value? I think we're we're seeing two things really. I think firstly, in terms of the partners themselves, you know, if you kind of go back again a few years back, they would typically have lots and lots of different technology suppliers, maybe a dozen suppliers. And, you know, as we'll all know, it's it's really challenging to manage that size of supply chain. You know, the commercial negotiation, the operational management, the integration, the enablement, the activation, you know, it's, it's a very challenging thing to do. So I think we're starting to see partners recognize that you know, they're looking at supply chain and saying, actually, are these suppliers adding value? Um, are they helping me to deliver my strategy? And if not, to reevaluate whether they've got the right ones. I mean, obviously, you want to be on the right side of that selection process. And then I think for the customer, 
this is also really fascinating because a number of years back, I, I used to often hear about the one-stop shop. You know, I, I need a I need a supplier, an IT supplier that can serve my multiple requirements. And I think increasingly, what you can end up with if you're not careful is is an IT supplier that's you know average at everything, or, or maybe good at some things and really not very good at other things, and that can cause real problems for your for your business. So you know, what I'd urge any of the partners listening is is to be really great at something, um, because and carve out a niche in a particular area. Um, rather than being tempted to end up in a really wide breadth of portfolio where actually you've got product lines there that are not delivering for you. They're just a big distraction. And in some cases can be damaging your brand because you're not serving those products as you should and, and, and could do. And Steve, are you finding those value conversations with the partners that are excelling? Are they in IT still? Are they merging across the line of business as well? Because that, that to, to really deliver value, you have to speak, have a conversation with the line of business and the budget owner, and there's more budget outside IT now in the business than in IT. Yeah. In the past, we had partners selling technology solutions. Now you've got to be selling business solutions. You know, It's got to address a business problem. It's got to add some business benefit because otherwise you'll be um, outmaneuvered by other IT partners who, are, who have already made that shift. I think the other thing is, I do see quite a lot of partners who are worried about whether they are adding value and they're going to get squeezed out by service providers or, or other, other players. And I think increasingly what I see is they add tremendous value. And often, I think in some cases, the, the service provider can take the partner for granted and not recognize the value that they do add, or the customer themselves can also take that for granted. So, you know, a scenario where the, the customer chooses to go direct and then suddenly has a problem when that direct supplier isn't on the end of a phone to come into their business the next day to address a problem or they're, they're trying to um, explain the kind of myriad of different solutions and they're struggling to do that so i think i see partners having lots of value and i think there's great time to be in the channel providing solutions to help businesses solve these uh, problems they've got what does a high value partner look like to to you steve those, those ones that are really adding that value in the in the channel it's those that are able to explain technology solutions to business people and talk a business language because you know our business is in telecoms if there's one thing i'd say about us we absolutely love our acronyms i mean we just create them every week and all it does is is for business people is just confuse where i see partners who are successful is they're able to translate technology speak into business language i'm seeing a lot of that as well in terms of what partners are looking for as well so i agree with you you know companies are looking at what's the value to us as an end customer of this technology and and i've seen quite a bit of a shift over the last year that's become even more highlighted because as companies have had to adapt during the pandemic their needs have changed and those suppliers that can get on the front foot with that and anticipate how those needs might be changing, but also can shift and adapt to that and figure out, does our solution, our offer, our proposition meet those new needs or not? And be upfront and honest about, does this requirement still exist for the customer or not that we can service or has it changed? And if so, how do we help them to change that? It's interesting. Another one of the episodes in the series is called The Situation Has Changed have you and and that came about from one of our guests Pierre Lee talking about constantly thinking in a different context about has the situation changed and if so how do we need to adapt to that change but I think also playing that back into the partner landscape that's also what partners need from their vendors as well isn't it that those vendors that can talk to them at a business level as well as not just we've got the best technology you should sell it but understand how it's going to help that partner 
to grow, how it's going to fit with their commercial model, how it's going to fit with their customer base, how it's going to complement and support their wider portfolio to create the right combination of services to meet their customers' needs. So that's that's quite a key part of it as well, I think, isn't it? Yeah, and I think I've seen in, in the last year, in the, in the last 18 months, I know, through the pandemic, I mean, it's been fascinating. We've had some partners who've been very agile and they've recognised actually they can offer services to businesses who've got, you know, suddenly their entire workforce working from a home environment and actually they can really help with that home environment. And with others who, you know, we don't deal in the home environment, that's a consumer service, failing to recognise that actually there's suddenly tens of thousands of business users in a home environment who have business requirements. So it's been interesting to watch those flourishing and also watch those that are able to adapt and those that have really struggled to make that transition so lots of services installed in sheds at the end of the garden then recently steve yeah that's the one that i think joking apart anna and i were recognized that the word outcomes has been used for a number of years and technology is still sold into it but your point steve you have to have a business conversation with lines of business if you're going to get anywhere otherwise you get sent back to IT and moreover if you're talking to a CFO you need to be able to financially justify the technology as well because the CFO is going to have a number of investment opportunities that they're looking at and you're not necessarily selling against another IT solution provider you might be selling against another investment that that CFO is looking and that CFO needs to understand, you know, what's the ROI, what's the net present value of money, and really, really, how is how is it going to reduce risk in their organisation? How is it going to drive asset utilisation? How is it going to help improve cash flow? Those are the metrics that the CFO will be looking at, in addition to the business owners looking at what productivity outcomes is the solution going to deliver. And I think also during the pandemic, what we've realized is the most important IT stakeholder is the user. So I think that's sometimes forgotten. But if you think about it was relatively easy to get everybody out of the office, but a little bit harder to get everybody back in. And we're still not there yet. I quite quite agree, Matt. I think, um, you know, at the start of the pandemic, there was lots of money flowing around as businesses scrambled to get their remote workers enabled. Um, Some were better prepared than others. Coming out of the pandemic, there's obviously solutions that have been deployed in a rush that now need to be refreshed to cater for this new kind of hybrid way of working. And it's fascinating to see some of the things in the press recently about, you know, the return to the office. You know, we're going to have everyone back on a five-day week. I happen to be one of those that fundamentally disagrees with that. I think in some sectors, we'll never see a return to people in the office five days a week. There are opportunities to help businesses cater for this new hybrid way of working, this new world that we'll be in, and to to take the solutions that were deployed a year ago and turn them into a a solution fit for the future. Most of the reports that I see about the return to the office and everybody's coming back five days a week seem at their source to be coming from commercial property companies or those with an interest, a commercial interest in office buildings. So naturally, they want everybody back in the office. But I think, you know, your point about companies coming back around to this is a really key one. And it actually came up in one of the podcast episodes in season one 
one. And Jude Mott, who's a, a product manager, was talking about exactly this, that a lot of companies scrambled to get people working from home. Things were kind of cobbled together. And, and actually now companies are really having to think about what's the long-term working environment going to look like. And I think you're absolutely right that they're now going back through this this refresh. And, and Jude predicted uh, that as well, that now it's about, okay, we've got some permanent situations coming up and we need to be addressing those in a you know, with more industrial strength, res- resilient, robust, supported, joined up ways, which is, which is really interesting. There's a big education piece for suppliers through the chain to help their customers to really understand the differences between those and, and help them to navigate what is still quite an uncertain future, you know, whatever the the hybrid working environment of the future is going to look like. A, we don't really know what exactly what it's going to be. I, I completely agree with you, Steve. I don't think it's going to go back to what it was, but what it's going to look like, we don't yet know. And, and it's going to be an evolving situation, I think, over the next few years. And that strikes me as a really important role for partners to, to grasp and be able to educate and support and navigate with their customers, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. And I think uh, what's interesting is the majority of partners are fairly small businesses. And so at their core, at their strength, is the ability to be agile and fast-paced and to be able to flex quickly and to, to outmaneuver some of the bigger players who, who are typically quite slow to move. If the pandemic's taught us anything, it, it should be that, that we've we've all had to adjust significantly both in our business lives and our personal lives to a changing situation and i think that that will continue to happen and i think those that will be successful will be those that adapt quickly and that are able to understand taught the business language um, and sell those business benefits there's a really good piece of advice around that ability to to adapt matt what would you suggest both vendors and partners think about in terms of their next generation relationships with each other you know what are some of the practical tips or pointers that you would give people to to think about how they progress on this journey in a way that's going to be successful from a vendor perspective understand who's doing your number now try and understand who's going to be doing your number in 18 months time and what's the makeup of that organization going to be in terms of their departmental capability, sales, marketing, technical operations, customer service, success, experience, life cycle. And then from a partner perspective, what is your strategy for the next 18 months? Where are you going? And to Steve's point, making sure it's an agile strategy and then comparing how that aligns with your various vendors. And I think the the marrying of the two, where there's alignment between those two strategies, the partner will be successful for the vendor and the vendor will be successful for the partner. And it's a bit like natural selection taking place in the market. Steve, what would you add for vendors and, and partners? Yeah, I think, I think for, for vendors, I think the first thing I'll say is make sure you're talking to your partners. And I think it's an obvious thing for me to say, but really, really important is, you know, engage with your partners. What do they think of the service you're providing? What do they think about where the market's going? What do they think about your proposition? Listen to that feedback and act on it and, and adapt accordingly. Because I think we, we're all very really guilty of this. We sit in our um, homes these days, but in our offices, and we predict what our partners want and, and we try and second guess what they want. And I often say to my guys, why not just go and ask them and they'll tell us the answer. So I think firstly that, I think for the partner themselves, I'd encourage them to think about their install base because one thing I've seen in the last few years is that 
Um, sometimes the partners are, you know, they're very good at looking out for new business, but sometimes that existing uh, installed base of customers can get forgotten about. So make sure you're engaging with that installed base to um, to make sure you're serving them properly to uncover some new, new opportunities in that base. So yeah, that would be my other top tip. Thank you both. And I think you know a lot of this really comes down to alignment and knowledge and understanding so as a partner know your vendors know your customers as a as a vendor understand what that supply chain through your partner network and your and customer looks like because getting all of those things aligned is really important and you can only do that by talking and understanding and asking questions and and really getting to know each other to uh, to both of your points i think there's a huge amount in here for sales leaders who are thinking about their channels whatever level of maturity they're at i think having that structure being specific around what it is that you're looking for where it is that you're trying to go and then trying to marry those things up i think is a really good a good takeaway and i think you both shared loads of experiences uh, of what you've done along the way as along with some really practical tips so thank you both very much for participating thank you yeah thank you anna plenty to consider from both my guests as always I mentioned the first episode in this season. The situation has changed, have you? If you missed that, why not hop back and take a listen? I also mentioned an episode in season one featuring Jude Mott talking about the need to relook at the early COVID solutions companies implemented quickly. If you want to take a listen to that one, it's episode three, deliver true business value in a changing world. Meantime, if you enjoyed this episode, then please like, leave us a review and hop over to revenueriser.com to subscribe to our newsletter. We'll be back next week with our next episode on the CEO's perspective to leading growth with Lauren White and Alan Merritt. So please join us there and see you next time.